0: This episode of Naval Gazing is sponsored by ValleyGivesBack.org. Adding a Valley charity to your estate plan creates a lasting legacy that tells future generations what causes matter to you. Your action will inspire others to follow your lead and make a difference. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley community forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Learn more at ValleyGivesBack.org, an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Plan now, give later, and impact tomorrow at valleygivesback.org. For hundreds of years,
1: we've brought you the news.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indie Podcast. My name is Eugene Driscoll, and my guest today is Amy Messett, the new principal at the Irving School in Derby. And if I was any kind of professional, I would have asked you, how do you pronounce your last name and did I just butcher it?
2: <laughs> it's Miss It. I tell the kids if I throw something at you, don't
0: miss it. All right, that's okay, easy. Okay, so that'll help them remember. Miss It. I apologize. No problem. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And I guess more importantly, welcome to Derby and congratulations uh, on your job as the new Principal at the Irving School. Thank you. So I thought we were talking for a second before we went on. I I envision this as sort of just a get-to-know-you podcast. You know, uh, we're two reporters at a nonprofit news site, and we don't get into the schools as much as we like to. We try to publish every press release that the schools send, but uh, I thought this would be a little more, since you're brand new, uh, parents can listen and and get to know you a little bit. Perfect. So where'd you grow up? Where are you from? New Milford.
2: Oh, okay. So, uh, not in this area. I currently live in Waterbury. I've been there for about 15 years. That's where my husband grew up, and that's where we ended up staying and
0: raising our kids. So, switching back to New Milford uh, for a bit, I started when I. Came to Connecticut after working out a weekly. I worked at the News Times of Danbury, which was oh, really? the, uh, the, yep. the paper of Greater Danbury. Mm-hmm. So I'm somewhat familiar with New Milford. What was it like growing up there? It was it's rural, or I guess it's changed now. It's changed but a what lot. What was it like growing it up? It was.
2: Um, I used to live uh, near the downtown green, near Canterbury School. We walked everywhere. Um, you didn't have all those wonderful stores on Route Seven, but you also didn't have all the traffic. Mm. So I, I guess it's a lot different from now. But it was. Um, It was a nice town to grow
0: up in. And then uh, what type of work would your mom or dad do for a living and (laughs) brothers and sisters and stuff like that?
2: I have one brother. He um, works for the state now for DSS. My father, um, longtime high school English teacher in Brookfield, since retired. Um, And my mother was a social worker in Danbury.
0: Okay, so we got to ask Ethan over there, who's off mic and nobody can see him because this is a podcast, he grew up in Brookfield and went to Brookfield High School. Uh-oh. So what, what, when did your dad retire? Like when he was he? Oh, that? Um, about
2: four years ago.
0: Oh, so we got to ask. He probably, yeah.
2: I'm sure he knows him. My father was in Brookfield for uh, over 30 years.
0: Wow, okay. Yeah. I need some blackmail stuff. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we had the new principal of, uh, of the middle school in here a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, and uh, she her her parents. Uh, one of them was a, was a teacher as well. So it's funny how this is is passed on from generation to generation. Did you always kn- know you wanted to be a teacher growing up because of your, your dad? Uh,
2: yes and no. I started off playing school and wanting to be a teacher, and then in high school I took a psychology course and absolutely loved it and thought that that's what I wanted to study and go into some kind of counseling role. Um, but then after high school, I was working as a nanny. I was working in daycare centers, um, wanting to be around kids. And I decided to switch my major and go back to elementary education because I realized that I could kind of combine both of the things I loved. So I could teach. Um, that would also give me an opportunity to, you know, help kids grow as a whole child. The the social emotional side of it, too, which I still carry with me, you know, into my work every day.
0: Where'd you go to college? Uh,
2: Westcon.
0: Oh, sure. All right. So, hey, I know all those places. <laughs> Brookfield, New yep. Milford, Westcon. Went to
2: Western. Um, I when did act- you graduate? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> 2003, 2004. Okay. I did my master's at Post University and then I did my um, certificate, certificate in administration at Sacred Heart.
0: And then what was your first job? Uh, in the education field?
2: So I, previous to coming here, have always worked in Waterbury. I started as a classroom teacher.
0: What grade? Like, what did you teach? Uh,
2: I was, um, being the new person, sometimes you get bumped around a lot. So my first years of teaching, I went kindergarten, fourth grade, back to kindergarten, back to fourth grade. Wow! So that was an experience in uh, in change, adjusting to change.
0: Well, and one thing I've read... Because uh, I have no background uh, in teaching or education, and 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 like you know, my family are all like cops and criminals. Uh, the, <laughs> the first year teaching is incredibly stressful, and it's like a lot of people don't make it through after that first year. You'll see people uh, drop out. So, what are your most vivid memories uh, from that first year as a teacher?
2: I, it's one of them's kind of embarrassing, but I'll share it <laughs> because I think it's probably true of most new teachers. I was setting up my classroom the week before school started and the secretary brought in a mother with a new kindergartner who wanted to see the room. You know, her little daughter was nervous about starting. And so I was trying to make her excited about starting kindergarten. I'm showing her different things around the room. And I said, oh, and these are these big bricks over here. I don't know what we're going to do with them yet, but we'll figure out something. And I thought about it afterwards and I was like, I sound like I have no idea what I'm doing. That mother must be like, there's no way I'm bringing my daughter back here. The
0: bricks are just a cinder block it's, wall? You're gonna, no, you're gonna, they oh. were
2: like play bricks. Like, oh, okay, big, okay. like cardboard play bricks that were left in the classroom from a previous teacher. But that's how I felt. And then I went home so embarrassed that like I let a parent know that I didn't know what I was doing yet. Um, and I'll never forget that. And I, I think that all new teachers should have that go-to person in the building because you need, other than your principal, you need a colleague you can go to and say, I I feel like an idiot right now. What am I doing? (laughs) Because it is difficult. No matter how much schooling you have, nothing prepares you for that first day with all those faces looking at you. It's a tough job. (laughs)
0: And then, at what point did you feel comfortable saying, like, okay, this is this is my career. I now have a little bit of a handle, at least, or, or a complete handle on, on what I'm doing. How, how many years does it take to get comfortable? I mean, I can only
2: speak for myself. I would say after the first maybe two years, especially having jumped from grade to grade, I realized that, okay, I can do this. Um, and I actually didn't stay in the classroom too many years, Um I really my passion is literacy. So I became a Title 1 reading teacher and saw small groups of students that needed reading intervention.
0: Yeah, explain to me like what a Title 1? So, that's a grant-funded position yeah, for kids so, who, who Yeah. Need to yeah. Be born. In
2: Waterbury we're a Title 1 district. Um, and so there was, you know, funding for so they, we just called them Title 1 reading teachers. Basically, it was a reading teacher. Um And then from there, I became a literacy facilitator, which was more of a coaching position. So we wrote curriculum, um, but a lot of our time was spent mentoring new teachers, uh, receiving training in literacy practices, best practices, and then modeling them in the classroom for teachers. So that was a nice kind of step for me between teaching and going into administration because I had a lot of practice Building relationships with teachers, coaching teachers, um, so that was that was my next step.
0: And you had said, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt. No, that's okay. What the heck? We're the, just chatting. Yeah, <laughs> you had said literacy is your your passion. Mm. Like, what is that? Why why literacy? Like, what what is it? It's it's like teaching kids how to read. Essentially, is your
2: it... yes, and reading in general. I'm a big reader myself. I read. Um, A book for pleasure, probably one book a week I go through. That's my downtime. When everything's done, I get into bed and I read until I can't keep my eyes open anymore. And there's so much, I guess for me, and I'm going to sound corny for a minute, there's so much power in reading because you can teach yourself just about anything. You can escape if you just want to read for pleasure. There's so much power to becoming a, a skilled reader So I guess it's my own love of reading and also, you know, my love of teaching. That's, I feel like the biggest thing I can give to kids is that power to be able to learn or explore on their own through reading.
0: Okay. And then before I'd interrupted you, you were going through your career at Waterbury. (laughs) How many many years did you work totally uh, in Waterbury or total in Waterbury?
2: Total in Waterbury, I was there 13 years. So 10 as a teacher or a coach And then my last three years, I was assistant principal at Driggs School. It's a pre-K to five school in downtown Waterbury.
0: And then what made you uh, make the jump from uh, teaching? I mean, you've sort of talked about it already, but why go into the administrative side of things?
2: When I started teaching, I was one of those teachers that said, I'm never leaving the classroom. I think a lot of teachers are like that. Um, And... (laughs) My father, being a longtime teacher, used to come home and complain about his administrators all the time. So... Which is probably any job, right? Yeah. Like oh, absolutely. Ethan complains about
0: me, I'm sure. The absolutely. I it's
2: it's just part of, part of working. But, um, you know, he would always say, once they leave the classroom, they forget what it's like. And I think that's a common sentiment. I think I even heard Rachel Caggiano say that when she was with you two weeks ago. Um, and so... I decided that after doing the coaching job, I felt like I could have more impact if I was working at a higher level and I could work with training teachers, I could help make decisions about practices in the school. Um, I just felt like I would have more of an effect if I could take what I'd learned over the years and now bring it to the next level. But I do, in the back of my head, always hear my father saying don't turn into one of those administrators don't turn into one of those that forgets what it's like so i always have his voice in the back of my head reminding me of that
0: hi this is eugene driscoll most likely interrupting myself to bring you a message from our sponsor valley dot org adding a valley charity to your estate plan creates a lasting legacy that tells future generations what causes mattered to you Your action will inspire others to follow your lead and make a difference. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley community forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Learn more at valleygivesback.org, an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Plan now, give later, impact tomorrow at valleygivesback.org. Just telling you, don't yeah. <laughs> and then when you look back at your, so how many years were you the assistant principal? Three years. Three years. What uh, did you accomplish during that time? And I guess the, my other question: What does an assistant principal do? Because mm-hmm. I, when I went to school, I went. It was a smaller school. We just had the. Yeah. I guess there was an assistant principal. He'd you get in trouble, you got sent to the assistant principal.
2: <laughs> so discipline is definitely a part of it. I think it's different in every town or city, and it even differs by school. Um, I was very lucky to work for a principal who was not just looking for somebody to do lunch duty and hall duty and discipline. He really wanted a partner, an instructional leader partner. So he let me take on a lot of projects that I wanted to do on my own um, and really included me in decision making. So, well, I f-
0: What was the principal's name or what is his
2: name? His name is Mike Therial. He's still there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, So, I feel lucky that I was able to work with him because instead of just learning the discipline management side of things, I feel like I really got a taste of what it's like to be that instructional leader and make decisions for the students and what's best for the building. Um, You know, one example was I really, you know, I mentioned before like my passion for psychology and that whole social emotional piece too. I do think it's our job to teach the whole child. Um, You know, a lot of kids don't come in with the same social skills or coping strategies that we'd like to think that we had as kids. I'm not sure if we did or not, but um, just like not knowing how to read, if you don't know how to get along with people, it's it's a skills gap. So our job as educators is to Figure out what those gaps are and help kids fix them so that they can be successful and happy.
0: So, that's an interesting point because we, you know, we talk to people all the time. Like, there's another podcast we do here, it's uh, with sports guys, a lot of old time valley sports guys. And they, uh, every once in a while, somebody, all these helicopter parents. And now, in my day, you know, we just (laughs) slapped the kid on the back of the head and sent them on his way. And now I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old because I was always like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, these kids are so, they're all wimps today. But but then you're encouraged now at school to be a part of your kid's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, the schools are so much more inclusive. I mean, yeah. Irving schools specifically Very where they have community oriented, rallies where it's absolutely. all about getting the community involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so has that been a change? that's ta- I mean, that, that's teaching to the whole child, which maybe wasn't done at least when I went to high school.
2: Yeah. Um, I think that <clears throat> I think that it comes down to looking at kids as individuals too. so part of the problem is that schools are expected to do so much these days. There's so much to teach it's hard to keep up with curriculum. So I think what happened over the years is you know you hear people say, well kids don't get to play in kindergarten anymore and that's not true. they do um, but we try and make it more academic based because we need them learning those academic skills also. Um, I, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Well, I, I had interrupted <laughs> you
0: anyway. You had talked about the whole school and I went on my, my yeah. anti uh, no, helicopter I, parents are certainly okay to a certain point. That was my point.
2: Yeah. It's- I And so I do think it comes down to the individual child. Some kids are very independent. They're very outgoing to begin with and some aren't. So. Sometimes I think what happens in school is because you have 20 kids sitting in front of you, you tend to treat them all one way. Um, at least that's kind, that was kind of my experience going to school growing up. So one of the things that I really encouraged um, my teachers in the past to do at Driggs, and this is kind of where I was going with him letting me take on some, some real leadership roles, is I started doing um, – a series of workshops with them on developing relationships, how to teach social skills. And there was some pushback at first because they want their focus to be teaching academics. But if a child isn't coming into school, You know, in a place where they're ready to learn because they're too nervous or they're too worried about fighting with this friend or
0: they're crying every day.
2: Yeah, or you know, whatever else may have happened at home, then they're not in a place where they can take in that academic information either. So, we have to figure out a way to balance that. We can't not do our academic piece, but we have to make sure that we build those relationships. And that sense of community, I think, is so important because you want students coming to school feeling like they belong, like they're part of something. Because then, even if they are nervous or having problems, school's a safe place.
0: So now you're making this transition to the Irving School uh, in Derby. I said, we're in Ansonia. I almost said here in Derby, but it's right <laughs> up the road. Um, so I, I assume when, when you interviewed for the job, whoever interviewed you, however that works, had uh, you know their ideas of, of, of what they needed. Uh, for a good fit for the school but at the same time i'm sure you were probably interviewing them as well to make sure you're going to land in a in a place where you'll be supported and be able to flourish and all that so what was it about the irving school specifically that attracted you to it what are its strengths
2: well when i started looking for principal jobs i I wasn't incredibly serious about it to begin with. I knew that I was ready to take that next step. I wanted to take on a principal role. um, But it didn't necessarily have to happen right away. I was happy at Driggs, and, you know, I'd built great relationships there. Um, But I stumbled upon the Irving listing, and I looked them up on the website. And I read about their core values, um, including Derby's core values, but then the individual school as well. And so much of it mirrored what I what I truly value as well. So, for example, they um, respect ourselves, respect others, respect our school, and that's been the Irving, you know, motto for years now. And my motto that I had brought with me to Driggs was very similar. Um, but instead of using the word respect, we use the word take care. So I talk to kids about we take care of ourselves, we take care of others, and we take care of our school. So right away, looking at the website, I was, it was like, ding, ding, ding. This fits right into you know, what I really value and love, um, along with they try to promote a love of literacy. So another you know passion of mine. And it just it, it felt like the right fit. And then I was invited to visit Irving School after I interviewed, and I literally drove away with the biggest smile on my face. Everybody was so welcoming and warm. The school you know, had these beautiful murals painted over the walls. It just felt so good to be there, and I wanted to be a part of that. And luckily, they wanted me to be a part of it, too. So here I am.
0: And Irving is a, a high needs school. Yes. Uh, there, there's a, a large portion of the students there come from uh, family, working class families, families that are near the poverty line. Yes. Or at least, I mean, poverty line, I don't even know what that means anymore. It's like everyone's struggling and working for a living, I'm sure. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, two, two parent households that are that are both working. Uh what, what are the challenges? Because a lot of times, you know, we write a story, and especially, you know, we write in general about a school, and the reporter just writes, you know, it's mm-hmm. an economically distressed uh, community, and you sort of dehumanize the whole, uh, the, you know, the students that are there. I think, uh, so I'm I'm trying to gently ask, like, what are the challenges to uh, to teach kids uh, where they're coming from families that are struggling financially?
2: Right. And I th- I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said sometimes it's easy to de- dehumanize that. Um, Because at the end of the day, you really don't know. It's easy to judge as well. Um, You know, when you see kids come into school and sometimes they look tired or they didn't eat or, you know, their clothes might be dirty. It's easy to judge. But you can't because you don't know the circumstances that they're coming from. And as you said, a lot of these are families that are working very hard. They're doing um, the best they can do. And they're great parents. They just, as you said, are struggling right now. So one of the challenges is making sure that we are supporting the families as much as possible. Um, we have the walking school bus. I don't know if you've heard about that. That started before me. I can't take credit for that.
0: And that's, a, that's, then, that's where uh, a group of, of educators mm-hmm. from the Irving School go around and, and collect kids for school. Basically, yeah. They go way. on a
2: walking tour every morning and, you know, kids know that. They're going to stop at certain corners. They come out, and everybody walks back to school together. So,
0: and, and, the, and the 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 motivation behind that. Correct me if I'm wrong, because there's been some stories on it where, mm-hmm. it's, and the reporter kind of they do it from like a happy, happy, joy, joy, yeah. which is great. It's a great, wonderful yep. program, but also it has it's it's designed mm. to get kids to school who might otherwise miss the bus, and not show up for school. It's Absolutely, a, and that was a major, yeah, uh, yep. thing going on at Irving. That Absolutely, was
2: the, and as a parent, I mean, I, I'm. You know, working to my husband works as well. I have two of my own children and there are mornings it's hard for me to get them to school, yeah. you know, and I'm not necessarily struggling in the same way some of our families are. And that's what I mean by you have to, to get rid of the judgment. Um some of these are younger kids who parents don't feel safe having them walk to school by themselves, but may not be able to walk them because they have a sick child at home. You know, so we're trying to provide ways to help these families, because at the end of the day, they want what's best for their
0: children. And how did you find out about the, the walking school bus? Was it just one of those things that you heard about? And I, you like, it, wow, was,
2: it was on the website, and I was excited okay. about it because I'd heard about it before and thought it would be great in Waterbury, but, you know, we were never kind of able to pull it together. I went on the walking school bus when I visited. And so I actually got to experience it the the first day that I came down here before I was appointed, um, and it was great. The kids the kids love it. I think they feel special. Hmm. You know, it's it's kind of a cool thing to be part of that walking school bus in the morning. Um, but that's just you know one example. There's lots of community resources out there. And we want to make it as easy as possible to connect parents with them.
0: Uh, and in terms of, I know there's been a ton of stuff. I mean, you're, you're replacing Jennifer Olson, uh, who is has been promoted. She's a, a, the a curriculum director. CIA. C-I-A. I yeah. I, yeah, I can't remember <laughs> the whole thing. I wrote it down. but uh, And I know she uh, aided with a lot of grant money. Mm-hmm. Uh was really concentrated on on school climate and improving all the things mm-hmm. we're talking about in terms of the community, yep. which had been an issue in two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Uh, you know, including you know safety that kids felt safe in school and were free from bullying and all that. So uh, I know that's all on the rise. And then the other side uh, is these test scores. Mm-hmm. Before we went on, Mike, I was admitting that I'm a moron. I have <laughs> there's nothing as difficult. Uh, than, than trying to make sense of test scores uh, in Connecticut. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're, you know, I'm not an education reporter, but how is that going? Because what happens, and I'm sure, a lot of, I'm sure a lot of parents have trouble too, because man, I'm a parent. And then, you, so you end up putting like Irving School, and then you get like greatschools.org, whatever that is. And yeah. it just says like one sentence or one word summary of, of Irving School, it's just like, no good. So how are the test scores going? What are the challenges uh, in that regard?
2: They are going up. So, you know, we're seeing positive trends in both reading and math. Um, But there's a lot of room for growth. And it's, there's a lot of room for growth at Irving, but there's a lot of room for growth across Connecticut. Um, You know, with the switch to smarter balance testing, it looked like a lot of districts, all of a sudden their test scores dropped. But, you know, it's a completely different assessment. And so now we finally have a few years under our belt and we can start to see the trends and they are going up. Um, And, you know, kind of like I said with the child, if they're not coming into school in a place where they're ready to learn, they're not going to take in that academic information. So all this work that Jen Olson did to build that great community at the school and that safe, positive climate for the kids is putting them in a place now where we can really start to focus in on the academics not that they weren't before mm-hmm. but you have to have that safe climate in place so kids are coming to school ready to learn and it's like a
0: foundation almost like yeah, a yeah absolutely
2: of a i mean think about it if you go somewhere to learn something new and you're sitting there and you're nervous you don't feel good you didn't eat breakfast that morning um you're tired you're worried about the guy next to you because he keeps you know looking at you funny Versus going to a workshop and you know people are chatting with you. You have a full stomach. You had a good night's sleep. Um, you know everybody's saying hello and smiling. Which one are you going to retain more from? Which mm. one are you going to go home and be like, oh, you know, I learned this today. I, it's it's the same for children.
0: And that's caring for the whole child, teaching mm-hmm. the whole child that you had so mentioned.
2: From what I can see, walking into Irving, um, that that climate's there. The community is there. Um, that sense of safety and relationships is there. It feels like a family. I actually surveyed the teachers, um, when I first got there because it's hard starting in the summer because, you know, you're trying to plan, but there's so much unknown.
0: You're kind of alar- alone to a certain extent, I guess. Too. <laughs> it feels it's-
2: that way a little bit, but the teachers have been great staff. I was there when the summer program was going on. So yeah, I met wh- a lot of staff. When did you staff. start? When- July 2nd. Okay. Yep. Um, but I surveyed the teachers, and one of the questions was, if you could use one word to describe Irving, what would you use? And honestly, about 50% of them used the word family. So that's, that's amazing. That says that the climate in that school is, is, is right where it needs to be. And we're going to keep that going. We're not stopping the community events, the community meetings, you know, the walking school bus, all of that is staying.
0: Um, the community meetings, I went to two of those. And it's hard not to get teary eyed because it's so (laughs) much fun, those things. Uh, That's good to hear. And have you touched base? I mean, I assume you have with Mrs. Olson. And and is there any advice uh, that she gave you that sticks out? Did she comment on how you decorated your office or anything like that? Like, how's the transition work?
2: <laughs> no, no. She's actually she's been she's been wonderful. She's been very helpful. And is she you know,
0: over at the like the central yeah, office yeah. now? Yeah. Okay. So
2: she's transitioning too. So um, she's okay. trying to be supportive of me and get herself settled. So she's been great. Um, you know, her kind of advice to me going into it was, you know, here in Derby, it's about relationships, it's about family, it's about community, and you really need to keep that going, and. That's a a core value of my own, too. So it's definitely going to continue. And we're also going to continue working on those academics because, you know, we are trending in a good direction, but there's still a lot of room to to go. And so we're going to work very hard on that.
0: And then you had mentioned you had surveyed the teachers mm-hmm. to describe in one word, uh, Irving in one word. Do teachers tend to tell the truth on those things? Do they know? Or well, like, it, was, that...
2: it was anonymous. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, um, and I, I did get some interesting answers. So I think that for the most part, people were um, were honest. And it really is the feeling, like you said, when you go to those community meetings, it's hard not to get teary-eyed. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I, I really think that that's that's what that's what it is
0: so what's your commute like now compared to what it it was before
2: five minutes before 20 minutes now (laughs) if
0: there's no accidents on that bridge and see yeah
2: but you know what it's it's kind of nice i now have that extra 20 minutes to listen to a podcast or some music that i didn't get before
0: oh there you go (laughs) so
2: it's a nice little start to the day and a little wind down on the way home
0: all right, Amy. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming by and, and talking to me. I, I really do appreciate it. And uh, congratulations again and best of luck in thank your you. first year in Irving. Do
2: you mind if I plug two events?
0: Oh, absolutely not. Heck thank yeah. you.
2: Because I am new. I do want, um, I'm trying to set up some events where the community and parents and students can meet me. So on Tuesday, August 21st from 6 to 7. At Derby Public Library, we'll be doing a meet and greet read aloud. I have some books I'd like to share. We'll be happy to, you know, answer questions, meet with parents. Um, You know, we'll have some light refreshments. And Sue Sherman at the library helped me set that up. She's been wonderful. And then we are having our back to school bash on Wednesday, September 5th from 5 to 7 um, in our parking lot and playground. We're going to have, an ice cream food truck there games um some community partners to share information and that'll be a nice chance for the community to come together and meet everybody and start the year off right so
0: awesome and what i'll do is i'll record something separate so that's at the very top of the podcast as well and i'll put it in text uh, so people know about it awesome all right thanks a lot
2: thank you
1: the news for the info we gave you the clue.